0: Land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. This is a podcast by The Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show.
2: hey welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. I'm Pete Wargent and I'm joined today by Amy Lunardi. Amy, welcome.
1: Thanks, Pete. Good to be here.
2: One of Australia's top buyer's agents based <laughs> in Melbourne. So great to have you on. So welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to become Australia's most trusted property podcast and we're taking a plain English look at some of the biggest questions in property. And we've had people... Uh, write in with their questions and always send us your questions because we're here to serve. Um, And what a lot of people have been interested in, Amy, is how to speak to real estate agents and how to deal with real estate agents. It's that real people part of the industry, I suppose?
1: I remember, Pete, before I worked in the property industry, I was interested in buying an investment property and I called up a real estate agent. I think I was about 23, 24 years old at the time. And I do remember how nervous I felt. He was this really friendly guy out in Aubrey, Wodonga, somewhere out there. It was so nice, but I thought he he was judging me and I thought he was judging the questions I was asking and I didn't know what I was saying. So I do remember that overwhelming feeling, especially because, um, you know, they're in that position of power. You don't really know what you're doing and that can mean that you just feel a little bit overwhelmed or unsure or have a bit of self-doubt. So we're going to have a chat today about, you know, how to approach speaking to agents and what you really need to know.
2: Before we rip into the main heart of the subject, um, we were chatting just before we came on, Amy, and it seems like a few more listings coming onto the market. Are you seeing that down in Melbourne?
1: I am a little bit, not so much right now, but I've been speaking to a lot of real estate agents topical based on the based on the episode today, and I'm always saying to them, you know, what have you got for my current clients, but also what's happening in the market, what have you got coming up, what are you seeing, because that gives me what because what I'm speaking to. You know, hundreds of agents every week, and that gives me a really good on-the-ground picture of what's happening right now, but also what's going to happen over the next few weeks or so. And I, I am hearing that there is more listings coming on. One particular office, who's quite dominant in the inner north, here said that they had listed more than they were pre-COVID for the next couple of weeks or so, um, which is promising for buyers. It's not. It's it's still too early to say whether it's going to be the right type of properties that we're looking for, these, you know, more quality types of family homes. But it is at least nice to hear that spring might offer some relief for stock levels for certain buyers who have been struggling to find something. Are you sort of finding the same up there in Brisbane, Pete?
2: Uh, Not so much in Brisbane, but certainly across Queensland, a lot of the regional markets are seeing a lift in stock listings. And it seems to be quite a few investors selling up, maybe those who are focused on cash flow investments when interest rates were lower. And I think some people are just offloading their least preferred property or their worst performer. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the quality is a bit mixed. But yes, new listings. And if you're speaking to hundreds of agents a week, you're the perfect person to talk us through this week's topic. <laughs> so, speaking to real estate agents, so we're going to cover this in three uh, broad sections. So, firstly, who are we dealing with and how should we interact generally with real estate agents? Secondly, uh, we'll talk through that initial contact and the conversations and negotiations that you have with real estate agents. And thirdly, we'll do a bit of a, a list of do's and don'ts and wrap it up. So, Amy, straight from the top, uh, you mentioned that your first interaction with a real estate agent in Oldbury, Wodonga. Um, so, <laughs> look, not, not everyone's bought property before and it's new to some people. So, who are real estate agents in inverted commas? What types of people are we dealing with? What are they like? Or is there no one-size-fits-all here?
1: Oh, well, definitely. I mean, we're, we've got, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of real estate agents across Australia. And, of course, in any industry, you're going to come across the good eggs and the bad eggs. And in my experience dealing with agents all across Melbourne, most of them are pretty good to deal with. And I think that real estate agents have this reputation. It's fair to say they are one of the least trusted industries or professionals. Um, I'm not sure what's behind, maybe use car salesmen or or politicians probably. (laughs) But I think that a lot of that, not always, but a lot of it can sometimes be caused by buyers just not really knowing the right questions to ask or the right things to say. And for those reasons, sometimes maybe things will happen or certain outcomes will happen where they say, oh, I feel like I've um, that agent was playing games with me or they've got one over me or I feel like they're being mistruthful. But in reality, they just haven't asked the right questions or the agent's process was always going to be that way. But maybe the buyer hadn't clarified the process or something beforehand. And yes, of course, there are some agents out there that are um, less easy to deal with than others. Sometimes they might have an ego. Sometimes they might be um, playing favorites with another buyer because they think that buyer has something to sell and they're trying to sell it to that person so they can get their listing. There are things like that that definitely do happen. But at the end of the day, I think the key takeaway that you should take from this this episode if if only one thing is that the agent, the agent's job and their sole purpose and their sole goal is to sell that property. Yes, they do want to get the highest price possible for their vendor and do the right thing. And, you know, if they're selling properties for good prices, they'll have a good reputation and hopefully get more listings of that. But unless they actually sell that property, they're not going to get paid. They will only get a commission once they sell that property. So it's actually in their incentive to do everything they can to facilitate that transaction with you as the buyer and to help you and to guide you and to negotiate um and they don't want to be pushing you to the point where they lose you as a buyer just because they're trying to get an extra couple of grand or so um which for them as a commission might only be an extra 50 bucks so i think that's just the key thing to remember yes sometimes it might feel like they're out to get you or you know you don't really agree with what they're doing but they're there to try and make a sale as well
2: i think that's the perception isn't it because real estate agents are ultimately motivated to make a sale. And that's where the mistrust sometimes comes in, because I've dealt with some fantastic real estate agents um, over the years, people like Alex Jordan and McGrath, just great people to work with. And yet, I mean, I haven't seen one of these surveys for years, but I remember the articles used to come out and say, uh, you know, real estate agents, it's the least trusted industry. It's on a par with politicians, it's below sex workers, it's um, up there with used car salesmen. And I think that's the perception is that because it's a sales based industry and people feel like sometimes an agent might be trying to get something over them, which isn't necessarily the case. in certainly with many of the great agents I've worked with over the years. But you made a really important point there about how a real estate agent's motivated. So if they're remunerated on a percentage basis, um, they're not necessarily always. Uh, motivated to make the highest price sale, Um, sometimes they just want to make sure they get a safe and secure sale. Because as you said, I guess the difference between selling a property, let's say for the sake of argument, uh, between sort of 700,000 and 705,000, it makes very little difference to the percentage or to the commission that gets paid to the agent. So in some ways, they're going to be more motivated to make a, a safe and secure sale that they believe will go ahead rather than trying to squeeze every dollar out of the sale. Does that kind of make sense with what you see? Oh,
1: absolutely. That's right. And in some situations, even though this might necessarily be the, the right thing that the agent is doing, but they might pref- be preferring to deal with a certain buyer because that buyer has just made their life a lot easier. That buyer has been more pleasant to deal with. Maybe someone else is, is there prepared to pay a bit more, but they've been asking a billion questions or they've been really rude to that agent or for whatever reason, um, the agent's not interested in engaging with them. And, and the agent is ultimately the conduit between the buyer and the vendor. They control the narrative here. You've always got to remember that. So, sometimes even if there is someone out there prepared to pay more, they might not get a look in or the agent might favour someone else Um so just bear that in mind, and that's kind of going to lead into what we're talking about today. Where, when you're dealing with a real estate agent, even if sometimes you don't want to, or uh, <laughs> um, you know, you're not, you're not uh, liking the way that they're behaving or the things that they're saying, and I do come across this quite often. And as a buyer's agent, I have to play uh, play nice, even so sometimes I don't dis- don't agree with things. Um, I have to be that middleman so that I am getting that agent to engage with me and want to deal with me. So you need to sometimes be the bigger person in these things, even if the agent's being annoying or being rude or being frustrating because you will probably come across that now and again because you need to understand that if you don't um, make their life a bit easier, I guess, when you're dealing with them, they might you might put yourself at a disadvantage and this is particularly when we're talking about a hot a market or a market where that agent has plenty of buyers to choose from and other people to deal with versus a softer market where that agent might uh, need you a little bit more and they'll be chasing you rather than vice versa.
2: So there's a bit of a balance of power thing through the cycle. So when the market's red hot, it's easy to make sales. In fact, you get quite a few new agents come into the industry in those boom periods. But when the market's slower or declining, then... um, the agent might need you as a buyer a bit more. So that balance of power goes around in a, a cycle or a circle, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess another great agent that I deal with in Brisbane, uh, should give a shout out to Charles Wiggett at House. I often, if I just want to know what's happening or if there's any stock coming up on the market, I just pick up the phone, give Charles a call, see what's happening. Now, I guess that's um, an example of where I've always had a positive interactive action with a real estate agent. But sometimes... You don't get such positive feedback. So how can we make real estate agents want to interact with us more positively? So we get more uh, situations like that and um, uh, fewer of the sort of terse conversations. I, I, I guess you touched on a couple of the ideas, uh, clear communication, being, I suppose, friendly, positive, upbeat, but also I think some kind of, um, I guess it's clarity, you know, be be clear with your questions and give straight feedback, that kind of thing.
1: Oh, absolutely. So essentially you want to put yourself in a position where that real estate agent genuinely is happy to deal with you because, um, you know, they they think you're a nice person, but also they know that you're qualified. That is, you are someone who is ready to purchase from a financial perspective, but also you are clear with your brief. In other words, what you want, your budget, your locations, your non-negotiables, and making sure that you can afford what you want as well. So the agent knows that you are realistic. And in which case, if you can tick all of those boxes, you're going to be put towards the top of the list when that agent is considering who they're going to be calling when they have an off-market property or a pre-market property to sell. So that's really key for you to be able to get as many opportunities as possible. And that agent is much more likely to call you, again, if you are someone who is, they're, they're happy to deal with and it's ready to buy versus someone who, you know, they've had a negative interaction with or has said something like, oh, I'm, I'm not in a rush to buy. Uh, I know that sometimes that can seem like something that you should say so that you don't seem desperate when you're buying a property, but it can have the adverse an adverse impact, suggesting to that agent that you're just not motivated. So again, who are they going to call first? Maybe someone else on the list who they have a higher likelihood of of selling that property to.
2: Yes, nothing worse than a tire kicker, I guess, from a real estate agent's perspective, somebody who's going to uh, be a drain on their energy and time, but never actually make a purchase. And that's probably going to put you at a disadvantage. Now, we haven't pre- You're going to have
1: a reputation on that, Pete. We will have um, a reputation as a buyer. So real estate agents, especially the bigger agencies, they'll have their weekly meetings where they'll discuss what's going on with their listings and they'll discuss certain buyers and sometimes they'll make suggestions and one agent will say, oh, hey, Pete, I've had a buyer that's missed out recently or I know a buyer who's in the market. They might be suitable for your, for your property and they'll talk about you and you don't want to be that person who they're talking about at the meeting to be like, oh, don't worry about dealing with that guy. He's, he's going to waste your time or, or for, whatever, for whatever reason. You want to protect your reputation there. Um, so, yeah, just, just just something to be aware of as a buyer.
2: Probably some colourful language thrown in on occasion as well. So uh, let's um, move on to this uh, point of initial contact or conversation with a real estate agent. Now, we haven't uh, pre-scripted or pre-prepared this, but let's do a bit of a role play here, Amy. I know (laughs) how much you love that uh, spontaneity. So let's say – I'm just throwing an example. Um, I've moved to Melbourne, uh, pretty unlikely scenario, I know, but uh, let's say for the sake of argument – If I've moved to Melbourne, I go onto one of the real estate portals and I see a house for sale in uh, Coburg. I like the tram connection and I see a property for sale and I'm like, right, what happens now? I want to speak to an agent. So how do you make that initial contact? Do I phone them up? Uh, Do I make an online inquiry? Do I go to the first open home? What would you normally do in that situation?
1: Well, I would say it depends on what stage you're at, at the per- in the purchase process. So, just say you're at the very beginning and you're not really ready to buy or you're just doing a little bit of market research, I would say just head along to those open inspections and save that really proactive, really um like intensive communication for when you are actually ready. So, as opposed to if you're ready to go financially and emotionally and you see this property online, you think this is a really great option for me. I'm going to go and see it. I would actually suggest calling that real estate agent. You can send an online inquiry. I think calling's a bit more, um, you just build a little bit of rapport at the start and get a bit more traction and just saying something like, I'm interested in this property. It ticks a lot of my boxes. I'm going to come and see it at the open for an inspection. I'll see you there, Um, but I'm calling you just to see if there's anything I need to know about this property in particular before I come along and just to flag my interest just in case for whatever reason it might risk selling before that open for inspection. So when I, and I do this as an advocate, if I see a property and I think this will be really great for the client, I will reach out to the agent because sometimes they might get an offer before the open and go and sell it. And in which case you want to know about it. And they might say to you something like, I might be getting an offer in the next couple of days. Do you want to come see it sooner? So being proactive as a buyer is very, very important with real estate agents. But again, if you're not ready to buy a property yet and you're calling agents all the time and trying to book private inspections, but you're not actually ready to buy, then you will start to get a reputation of being someone that's a bit of a time waster. So don't do that just yet. Save that for later.
2: If you're just monitoring the market, I think uh, people could quite quickly tire of that. Now, we mentioned that clear communication is key. Now, showing my age here, but I remember, this is going back probably uh, 30 years ago, but they used to say in uh, sort of uh, property circles that some buyers would turn up to open homes and they'd have a little business card and it would say, well, I buy properties in these areas and this type of property. Of course, these days the world has moved <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if anyone ever did it. This is the sort of thing you read in property books, right? You know, uh, but um, yeah, you go, well, go back in a- the
1: day, I say back in the day, <laughs> but this might have been only like 20 years ago, but real estate agents, you'd you'd, you'd go and get in their car and they would drive you around to all yeah, of the properties
2: probably get arrested these days if you did that kind <laughs> of thing yeah i think uh yeah i mean uh, it's not so long ago uh, it seems like people used to go to bus stations and print out business cards and things but uh, i guess the whole world has moved on uh, with with my gray hair and now uh, everything everything of course is electronic and online now when you're at an open home almost invariably the real estate agent will ask for contact details um, so usually a mobile phone number, possibly an email address and get you on their mailing list. But at that point, should you potentially discuss your brief and your budget just to let them know what, what kind of thing you are looking for?
1: Yeah, so it depends. Just just say we're at an open for inspection. It really will depend on how many other people are there. If that real estate agent, you know, is taking but neighbor- he or her, they're taking names and numbers, and there's like dozens of people there, and they're all wanting a piece of this agent. It's probably not the right time. You just use a bit of common sense here, right? It's not the right time to maybe bail them up in the corner and give them the big list of all of the things that you're looking for. But introduce yourself, maybe tell them on the spot yes, this is a property that I'm interested in. Um, what's the key information I need to know? I'll give you a buzz later to discuss. Or say, no, this is not quite right for me, but I'd love to get back in touch with you and see what else you've got. This is if they're super busy. But if it's, you know, a quiet, open for inspection, not many other people there, then yeah, absolutely. This is why it's really important to have your property brief, um, you know, memorized and like almost like a short blurb or like a paragraph of what you're going to say to the real estate agent as condensed, but as clear as possible. So it could be something like, you um, you know, I'm pre-approved, ready to buy. I uh, am looking for a three-bedroom house, happy to do a little bit of work in these particular suburbs. If you've got one or two examples sold properties, you can rattle them off and the agent will probably know about them if you, um, if you think that they'll help demonstrate what you're after. But I think one of the more challenging things that buyers find is discussing budget. Is that do you, would you reckon that's fair to say, Pete? That's the, that's an actually a question that we got come through saying, what do I say to the agent? Do I disclose my budget? Do I keep my cards close to my chest? I would
2: probably keep it fairly general. You don't want to be too specific and say, you know, I've got a mortgage pre-approval for $717,000 and my maximum budget is therefore, you know, give a specific number because, of course, straight away the agent is going to be... Um, Uh, sort of benchmarking against that figure. So I think But in general terms, saying your budget's maybe in the sevens or low sevens or something of that nature wouldn't hurt. Um, As you said, I I guess it is a little bit on a case-by-case basis. Um,
1: Yeah, I agree, Pete, definitely on a a case-by-case basis. And I think that it's just important to understand that you you do, you should first of all think about what you're going to say rather than being put on the spot and and then not being sure how to answer that. And understand that if you downplay your your budget too much or if you're being like purposefully vague, um, then the agent might think that, you you know, you can't afford the types of properties that they're selling that y- you might be able to and they might not give you the suitable off, off markets because they think your budget is less or they might think, oh, this person's a bit hard to deal with, they're not answering my questions and then, you know, that, that doesn't um, get you the outcome that you're after. So just say your budget is... You know, $730,000, you might say something like, you know, early sevens, I might have a bit of flex. Or you might say something like, you know, around the early sevens, I might be able to borrow a little bit of money off parents, even if you're not borrowing some money off parents. Just because then later on during the negotiations, you could say something like, oh, I wasn't able to borrow that money off parents. So you're giving yourself, you're not downplaying it too much, but you're giving yourself a little bit of room to move. Uh, Or you could say something like, um, early sevens, um, but it depends on the amount of work required because that's subjective, isn't it? You can decide how much residual budget you want to leave left over based on the amount of work. Um, and you know, the agent can't necessarily argue with that. So yes, just whatever you do, decide to say, have a think about what you're going to say before you get put on the spot, um, and also, just bear in mind too that you can change things later on in negotiations. You know, if the agent does know your budget because you bid on something else and they saw you bidding on that, so they know that you've got seven thirty to spend. But you don't want to spend seven thirty on this other property. You know, you could say something like, "Oh, you know, my my partner, um, we're not on the same page with this one. You know, he values it less." Or I've gone down to four days a week work. You know, my budget's gone down a little bit. So. You know, you can just because the agent knows your budget doesn't necessarily mean they're going to hold you to it um, or make you pay it later on. And also agents know that just because a buyer has a certain amount of money to spend doesn't necessarily mean they will and want to spend that. On all properties.
2: So, clarity and preparation are obviously key. And as you said, almost having like an elevator pitch of what you're looking for and that's where a, could a, be really that's useful. That's what
1: I was looking for, Pete. Elevator pitch. That's the one.
2: <laughs> that's the jargon. So, and in that situation, we often talk about um, being across what's coming onto the market, what's due to be listed. Would you let other local agents in the suburb or in that local area know about the brief as well?
1: Oh, definitely. So, the more you, communicate your brief to agents, the more chances you will have to get access to, again, these off-market or pre-market properties. There are some real estate agencies where you might find a particularly helpful real estate agent and he will um, or she will uh, what's called tag you as a buyer. So, you know, they've put them in your system and you're their buyer and they're going to then do a lot of running around and going to try and sell you, their colleagues' properties because some real estate agencies, they'll have incentives within their office or within their little office network where if they introduce you as a buyer to another property, they'll get paid more. So, sometimes that will happen. Um, But then there's some other real estate agencies I come across where I'll speak to one agent and I know I've got to speak to pretty much all of the agents in that office because they don't communicate as well or they don't have that kind of structure. So, I would say in general because as a buyer, you wouldn't you wouldn't know these things. The more, the better at the very beginning. And you will sometimes then find some which are more helpful than others. And I don't think, I mean, you tell me, Pete, I don't think I've ever come across a buyer who's really sat down and do done what we do, which is make a list of every single real estate agent in that location who's selling or has sold properties and contacting every, every single one of them.
2: Doesn't happen often. It's not even that hard to do when you actually, you can just literally look through the sales portals at who's been selling properties in your price range in local suburbs and local areas and just get in contact with them. It's not that difficult to do. Buyers agents are obviously more comfortable with it because they usually have an existing relationship. Um, You mentioned one of the variables, Amy, the hot market versus the cooler market and how this impacts. Now, we did have a question from James saying how is the process different if a property is going for sale uh, via auction versus something that's just for sale by a private treaty? So would that impact how you would communicate with the agent initially? I suppose it would because uh, with an auction process, you've got a, a planned sale date, whereas something that's uh, for sale by a private treaty, I guess um, you're probably just weighing up how many people are at the first open home and that kind of thing. But would it impact the way that you would communicate or deal with the real estate agent?
1: Well, whether it's going to auction or a private sale, I mean, it shouldn't really change things very much, except it will change the types of questions that you need to ask. For example, an auction has like a really straightforward process usually with certain rules, et cetera. And if if it goes to auction, um, there is a chance of yes, sometimes purchasing prior to auction, Um, but otherwise you're really doing all of your due diligence and you're understanding the terms and conditions and everything and then you're rocking up on auction day. But with a private sale, this is, this can be a lot trickier because we, and we did a whole episode on this previously, Pete, because private sales, you, there's no rules. There's no processes on how that agent has to sell that property and each agent will often have a different way that they're going to do it. And sometimes agents can get a little bit of, maybe, maybe not frustrated with me, but they say to me, gosh, you ask a lot of questions because when you're dealing with those agents, you need to clarify that process to the point where you know exactly what's going to happen. If you or someone else put an offer in, you need to understand the vendors preferences with terms and conditions, are you going to get a callback if someone puts in a higher offer in? Are they going to disclose prices? All of these things. So, there's generally a lot more um, questions you need to ask a real estate agent with private sales and also bearing in mind too that because of that lack of transparency or less transparency, you can't see the other offers, you can't see the other buyers, you, um, you need to be aware that Sometimes agents can play favorites with other buyers and you might not get advantages if you know there's certain things that have happened beforehand, which has made the agent not want to deal with you as much. Or maybe in some cases, like I said earlier, that agent's trying to sell that property to another buyer because they think they're going to get another listing. It's not great, but it does happen versus the transparency of an auction.
2: Now, we do have a deep dive episode coming up on the negotiation process, so we won't go too far down that particular rabbit hole today. Um, but, Amy, too- but coming
1: back to the hot versus cool market, Pete, because I think that's relevant too, yes. in that in, in a hot market, what that essentially means is that um, vendors have the upper hand, prices are increasing, there's essentially more demand than supply and in those kinds of markets agents tend to be a lot more busy there's a lot more going on and there's because there's more buyers they just have less incentive to help you rightly or wrongly or maybe maybe sometimes it's just because it's busy because they know they're just going to sell that property if it's not to you it's going to be to someone else so in those instances sometimes you do need to do more chasing the agents might not call you back as much and, and just be aware that they do have upper hand in those situations sometimes versus in a softer market where you'll find they will be calling you more they'll be calling you before the auction asking you to put an offer in or just more helpful in those situations and um so that yeah the strength of the market can influence you know your i guess um your overall interactions with them it it doesn't suggest i'm not suggesting that you should change the way that you interact with them but you just need to be mindful Um, around, yeah, when the market is hot, sometimes it is a bit more challenging as a buyer to get some traction with real estate agents.
2: Yeah, there's no judgment there. It's uh, human nature, isn't it, to take the path of least resistance. And if it's an easy sale, uh, we've all got the same number of hours in a week and an agent's not going to spend too many hours if they don't have to. Uh, Amy, let's um, pull this all together. We've talked a little bit about how you should communicate Um, let's just wrap up with a few do's and don'ts. Now, I guess you're dealing with a real estate agent um, through the initial uh, sort of open homes, early conversations, and potentially all the way through the process to pre-settlement, settlement, even after the completion of the sale sometimes. Now, a skillful real estate agent will often put people at ease and get them to sort of reveal information, I guess, about uh, what they're looking to do, what their budget is—is is there anything that you shouldn't say to a real estate agent? I, we already touched on uh, your specific budget, but is there anything else that you wouldn't necessarily want to reveal to an agent?
1: Well, coming back to what we said earlier, Pete is is just around—you know—saying things like "I'm not in a rush." Um, just uh, in instead of saying that, you could say something like, "You know, I'm pre-approved. I'm ready to go when the right property comes up." You know, that's a different way of saying, yeah, I'm not in a rush, but I'll mm. buy something when, when it does come up. Um, Also, just being careful of being like overly dismissive or negative on properties, which sometimes might, you, I think there's a um, bias think that they should do that to maybe try and get a better discount or have the upper hand in negotiating because the agent thinks they're not as interested. But it can first of all, make you seem like a really negative person and less exciting for the agent to deal with. It could be um, that the agent then thinks you're actually not interested when you really are because you've downplayed it too much. And sometimes just remember, you know, you might be dealing with an agent who's working with a vendor and it's their family home and they love that house. And if you're being really, really negative and that agent is passing that information along to the vendor well, maybe the vendor won't be as excited, excited about wanting to negotiate with you if they think you, you don't like their house. So, just keep that in mind. And then further to that too, really, really important is if you do have interest in a property, make sure you let the real estate agent know. There are some buyers who, again, just pretend like they play it too cool to the point where the agent thinks they're not interested and the agent will get an offer on that property and sell it without calling them. And then the buyer will say, Well, why didn't you call me? And the agent says, Well, I didn't think you were interested. So just bearing in mind that, um, and I feel like this is an old misconception like play down your interest, play it cool. But there is such a thing as playing it too cool.
2: It goes back to your point on online dating uh, last week, Amy. <laughs> I guess you, you want to be cool, but not, yes. don't play it too cool and uh, look disinterested.
1: Well, <laughs> that's exactly right like if you're going on a date and then afterwards that person doesn't text you for a week or two well you could assume it they're not interested but are they what are they just playing the game I should have
2: thought of that analogy before that's uh that's actually a pretty useful way to think about it Uh, just um one other really important point Amy on due diligence I think sometimes people will ask a real estate agent a question about and look, some things are judgmental. You know, is you know, is there traffic noise? Is there train noise? Is there a busy road? And of course, you know, the real estate agent's job is to sell the property. They're not necessarily uh, going to help you out on that side of the equation. So, just on due diligence, I think uh, you shouldn't necessarily rely upon something that an agent tells you as part of your due diligence. Uh, yes, they're definitely a key source of information, but um, you know, there's been issues over the years when. Um, you know, people ask questions about, let's say, a body corporate, uh, a sinking fund, and then within a year there's a special levy and you come back to the real estate agent and, you know, well, why didn't you tell me? And I think sometimes uh, you can't just use a conversation with an agent to replace your due diligence. You still need to go through the process thoroughly yourself.
1: Yes, um, to to the extent where I would actually say you can't, Listen to anything the agent says with respect to your own due diligence, not necessarily because they are trying to be misleading or deceptive, although sometimes, yes, that can happen, but I have had so many situations where they genuinely didn't know the answer or they thought they knew the answer, but that answer was wrong. For example, I had an agent recently and I asked them to point out the car park at an apartment It wasn't the right car park at all. It was in a totally different spot, but that's where the vendor had been parking and they thought that they went. Um, I've had agents as well say that you could do certain things with renovations when they have no idea around, you know, the local planning schemes and what's allowed or not allowed to be done. And I've had other agents who, you know, have just said something with a lot of confidence and other buyers have just listened to that. But the reality is, is that they actually didn't understand the situation. So you always need to do your own diligent due diligence by having a contract review, by cross-checking things. For example, if the agent says that's a car space, check that in the contract. Check that with your conveyancer. Anything the agent says, for example, if they say the cubby house is included, make sure that's in the contract. You can never rely on what they say verbally. And in fact, some contracts will explicitly say you cannot rely on what the agent is saying. You actually have to do all of your own due diligence. So again, not always malicious, sometimes due to ignorance or just not knowing the answer. Um, I had one the other day, Pete, where it was an old house and it was being subdivided. So they were chopping off the back piece of land and they were gonna build a townhouse there. And I was speaking to the agent and he'd been in the real estate industry for at least two decades. And I said to him, oh, okay, so technically this is an off the plan property. And he looked at me like I was from outer space. Never, he never—he just didn't quite understand what was going on. And yes, that was technically enough the plan property because they were subdividing it, but he didn't understand what that meant. So he was telling all other buyers that that was not off the plan, and he was just wrong. He didn't understand. So your solicitor, your building inspector, whichever other professionals you're engaging—they're the people you rely on, not the real estate agent.
2: It's definitely an asymmetry of information when a property is being sold, isn't it? i had a friend uh, selling her car this week, and there was a massive issue with the um, uh, with the oil, and she just took it to one of those websites where they'll buy any car for a set price, and it's then somebody else's problem. And I guess somebody who's lived in a home for thirty years is going to go, they're going to know all the little uh, 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 sort of gaps and crevices and little nuances and problems that a buyer is never going to get to the same. Uh, level of information as the seller so you need to really do your due diligence and not just rely on what an agent is telling you sometimes uh not necessarily because they're being misleading they just don't know um or as you said sometimes they've um, got a sort of a niche part of the market and they may not be familiar or sometimes you know the the industry is a bit um transient people come and go some people don't care so um you know there's good good and bad agents as you said the final point We've, uh, we always say you want to be proactive as a buyer. What about off-market or pre-market properties? Is that something uh, that buyers should get into the ears of agents about?
1: That's right, Pete. And once you purchase a property unconditionally, that that's your problem. So, it's really hard to go back later on and say to the agent, you should have told the, me this or you should have said this. In Victoria, we do have legislation which was introduced a few years ago about material facts. So, that is anything which would have an impact on that buyer either purchasing that property or valuing that property should be disclosed and these are things like you know big developments going up next door or if that property was a meth lab or had a homicide those kind of things they they need to be disclosed and there are um you know, repercussions from that if they aren't. But I've still, as a buyer's agent, come across situations where I've uncovered a material fact during my due diligence, highlighted to the agent, and they've said, oh, yeah, we did know about that. And I've said that needs to go in the contract. So they're trying to get away with it still. Or sometimes they don't, aren't aware of the most recent legislation as well. So buyer beware, buyer beware with due diligence, buyer beware with dealing with real estate agents. That's the key to know. But without trying to scare you as well, coming back to my point, most agents are pretty good, <laughs> and they're there to try and help you. But sometimes, um, they, again, they they are they uh, might mislead you not due to maliciousness, but due to ignorance or just just due to being. Um, yeah, maybe they've only been in the real estate agency uh, industry for six months.
2: <laughs> That's a, a cheerful note on which to leave it. Uh, homicides and meth labs. Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, <laughs> almost through necessity, we tend to focus a little bit in these podcasts on what can go wrong and what uh, some of the risks are. But of course, as you mentioned, most of the agents in the industry in Australia are really good. Um. So um, That's right. we're focusing on some of the exceptions there. Uh, so just to wrap up, um, I guess, uh, dealing with agents, um, try and stay positive. Be, I think uh, some clarity of communication is really useful. So have your elevator pitch ready. I think yeah, being prepared is useful. You don't want to be caught off guard uh, when an agent is quizzing you about your wants, needs, and desires. Um, so clearly communicate uh, what you're looking for and ask uh, useful questions. I think you just want to demonstrate to an agent um, that you're serious, you're not going to waste their time, and try and give them some specific feedback. Um, as and when you can. So, um, Amy, thank you so much for your insights. Now, if people have further questions or um, they want to know a bit more about you and your services, where should they go to to find out more?
1: Yes, so you can find me at amylunardi.com.au for any buyer's advocacy needs that you have here in Melbourne. I also have an online course for first home buyers, specifically Victorians at the first home guidebook.com.au. And how about you, Pete?
2: Yeah, so do make sure you subscribe for the Rusk podcast on your favourite podcast player. And I think you can probably get this on YouTube as well now so you can watch us uh, having our weekly chats. And um, yes, if you have any questions at all about what you want us to cover in the Australian Property Podcast, there's a link, I believe, in the show notes below. Um, so we do read all the questions, the good and the bad, and we'll try and cover. Whatever you want. You can catch me at Pete Wargent Blogspot. That's my daily blog. Or at Pete Wargent on Twitter. And if you've got any questions about the Brisbane property market, that's mainly where we're active, as well as Central Coast and Newcastle in New South Wales. So Amy, thank you so much for uh, coming on and uh, always enjoying Just enjoy to finish
1: off chats. Peter you getting on threads now that I know that you're all over Twitter I've never been on Twitter but I
2: haven't I'm not really an early adopter when it comes to most of these things I'm a bit of a yeah. laggard usually so um, yeah it's one of those things people keep threatening to leave Twitter and then they never seem to um, so no, uh, no. I haven't looked yet I think mixed feedback so far uh, but no at the moment still uh, tirelessly uh, plugging away on Twitter so uh Come and stop by, always happy to have a chat. Um, and uh, Amy, I look forward to uh, chatting again next episode.
1: Thanks, Pete. See you next time. Cheers. Thanks for
0: tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast.